0: I presume, has an element of the conflict between good and evil. And we could probably trace that through all great works of stories, literature, movies, life. Every drama has an element of the conflict between good and evil. I would contend today that every great drama, in the end of that story, good wins. You know, the same is true in your life. Uh, Whatever your story is, that there is an element of that story that is this conflict between good and evil, and God's desire <laughs> is that in your story that good would win. Uh, we had opportunity this week to go to SFA on Tuesday night to see a live production of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Anybody familiar with the classic work? A Christmas Carol, if I were to say that the main character was Ebenezer Scrooge, you go, okay, no, no, I know that. I don't know, actually know why that is called A Christmas Carol, but I, and I should have had that. I shouldn't be asking that question publicly. I should have already answered that, but I don't know. Uh, if you know the story, though, that centers around that center, that central character, Ebenezer Scrooge, he is a miserly, bitter, uh, grumpy old man. Yeah. I mean, he he doesn't give anybody anything. He's on everybody's case. And that story is set at Christmas time. In fact, it's Christmas Eve when the story takes place into Christmas day. And uh, you see this played out. His his go-to response to Christmas cheer is, bah humbug. I mean, he is not into it, and uh, he, is just a, he is a miserly, bitter, stingy, grumpy, old man. The plot of the story is that he is given an opportunity to see his life outside of his life, which most of us are just so into life that we don't really ever see our lives objectively. But Ebenezer Scrooge is given that opportunity from from the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, I think is the phrase. and He sees his life and the hurt and the pain from the past how people perceive him in the present and how people will perceive the day that he dies. And Ebenezer Scrooge comes to this crisis moment in his life where he decides (laughs) that's not who he wants to be. And really there is an element to this that there is this conflict between good and evil in the story, but quite honestly, the most central part of that theme is not outside of Ebenezer Scrooge, it is inside Ebenezer Scrooge. The conflict between good and evil, an incredible story in which Ebenezer Scrooge makes a choice turn from the evil to turn to the good and his whole life is transformed and this miserly bitter grumpy old man have I mentioned that already yeah okay <laughs> turns into this generous joyful old man he's still an old man yeah it didn't, doesn't change but he seems to be a completely different person as he encounters people in his life that have known him for all these years like that. And I I got up from that and it occurred to me, the Baptist preacher who's been preaching on God's one big story, the story of redemption, and I said, it's a story of redemption. And what is redemption? It is this concept in which in the conflict between good and evil, that good finally wins, it overcomes the evil and right wins out against wrong. Good overcomes bad. That's the story of redemption. And You know, not only is that true in A Christmas Carol, but it's also true With God's one big story, we haven't talked a lot about it, but y'all realize we're getting really close to the end. I mean, if y'all, you know, the Book of Revelation says, "He who endures till the end shall be saved." (laughs) If you can really make it, just—I mean, like now next Sunday, I do need to let you know I'm going to be here, but Cody's going to—Brother Cody's going to come. Who is actually—he just got his doctorate, and so I need—I need a little favor. He won't listen to this on on the internet, but he's Dr. Maury now. So every time you see him Sunday morning, say, oh, good morning, Dr. Maury." Okay, if you'll just say that he just graduated this weekend and he's gone. But next Sunday, he's gonna preach a Christmas message. And then the Sunday after Christmas, I'm gonna preach one final message on God's big story. We haven't talked a lot about it, but all in the midst of God's one big story, there is this conflict between good and evil. And obviously God is good. And we see this in the opening chapters of Genesis as he makes everything day by day and he says it is good. And I want you to understand, I said this, that's been a long time ago, it's been 11 months ago that I said, you know, how is it that God knew that when he created something it was good? Because there was no human being that looked at it and said, oh, that's good. That tastes good, that looks good. Oh, that's good. And what you understand, before human beings came, God declared things good. Good are those things that align with God's nature and character. Whatever God says, no, this is within my character and my nature, then that is good. And so you'd understand that which is not in alignment with his character and nature is bad, is evil. So obviously, God within his nature is good. It's, it's a, it's a self definition. God is good. And what we see is that in the midst of that goodness, even before human history is recorded, Satan rebels against God, he rebels against that goodness and he becomes the personification of evil, and Satan, also called Lucifer, falls from his standing before God as one of the archangels, and he falls in pride and self-exaltation. And It's not just that Satan falls, but it's once mankind, the one thing that God loved and made in his image, comes into existence that in Genesis 3, the third chapter of the Bible, Satan, who is in rebellion against God, out of alignment with God, is evil. He deceives mankind in joining the rebellion against God. Do it your own way. And you know, if I had to put a definition to what sin is, sin is just doing your own thing. It's just, you just saying this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to do and that that can take a lot of different uh, expressions. But Satan wanted to do his own thing and so he rebels against God and then he infects the rebellion into mankind in Genesis chapter 3 and he deceives mankind into joining the rebellion. Now here's the story. This is Genesis chapter 3. There's a bunch of chapters in the Bible. I'm supposed to know this. 11,889. I don't know if that that's true, but anyhow, that may be something, somewhere along there. That's the number that pops to my brain. God had a choice in Genesis chapter 3. God in his justice, in his power, could have just gone... <laughs> no. Uh, whatever that's like god like striking people dead and just he could have just obliterated satan it's like no i'm so done with you (coughs) mankind you've sinned (coughs) you're gone it's over well it would have been a really short book it would have been like two sermons if we're preaching through the whole bible and we wouldn't well we wouldn't be here would we okay so we wouldn't have to worry about that here's one of the the major turning points in the bible is god allows the rebellion he does not immediately address it not completely he allows it he allows satan to do what satan does in his rebellion he allows mankind to choose to do their own thing but in the midst of the story God begins to work a work of redemption and what was the work of redemption to get people back out of rebellion and onto his side to turn from the evil to turn to the good And that's been the story that we've covered for about the last 50 weeks of God beginning to work in our world to redeem the world back to Him. Well, this morning, we come almost to the very end. And in the end, evil is defeated and everything is put back into alignment with god and god deals with the leader of the rebellion and it's in revelation chapter 20. i want you to see at the end of the story what god will do with the leader of the rebellion and how he defeats satan it says in Revelation 20 verse 1. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while." Um, At this point in the story of Revelation, the last days, Jesus has come again. The believers have been resurrected. They have been brought into eternity. And God begins to deal with the force of evil. And there are some places that I need you to be aware of. And the first place comes up in the first verse when it says, Then I saw an angel coming down, down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit. Uh, the bottomless pit, and you can see this on your reference sheet. We'll. Looking at your, We'll be looking at your reference sheet here in just a minute, but you can look at it now. The bottomless pit is the dwelling place of Satan and his demons. This is their house. This is where they live, the bottomless pit. Um, there is heaven, there is earth, there is the universe. God dwells in heaven. But Satan and his demons dwell, or are not, but they are not bound to... The bottomless pit. It is where they live. And it says in verse two, you know, uh, hey Nathan, can we put verse two on the screen again? Uh, I want you to see this. I want you to see these words for Satan. It says, and that angel laid hold of the dragon, that's the first, that serpent of old, that is the second, who is the devil, that is third, and Satan, fourth and bound him for a thousand years. Um, Let's think about who Satan is just based on the names in this one verse because each word gives a different dimension to who Satan is. Now, dragon is a symbolic term that's used of Satan uh, throughout the book of Revelation. A dragon would have been known for its power. And to, to speak of Satan as a dragon was to speak to his power. Uh, you can see some of these references on your sheet, so uh, just know that you have them if you want to look over them. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air... The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, Satan is described as the prince of the power of the air. Know for sure that Satan has power and he has enforced that power in the domains where God allows him and that is on this earth. The second word that describes Satan is the word serpent of old. It flashes back to Genesis chapter 3 when it says that the serpent was the most cunning of God's creations and he says to Eve, did God really say? Did God say? To speak of Satan as a serpent speaks about his deception, and that goes back to the very beginning. Satan deceives the the man and the woman into doing their own thing so that they can be exalted really as gods of their own life. I will do what I want to do. That is the essence of sin, that I rebel against God and I say, I'm going to do my thing. And Satan has done that, and as the serpent of old, he is engaged in deception. In fact, it uses it in verse 3 here. We'll use it again in verse 7. It will use it in verse 10 that we will see. Satan is a deceiver, or what Jesus described as a liar. If God is the God of truth, and Satan opposes everything that God does, know that when Satan speaks, He speaks lies. In John 8, 44, Jesus said, and this is on your sheet, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan's activity throughout history has been to deceive people into leaving the good and going to the evil of rebelling against God. The third word in this verse is the word devil. Uh, The word devil is a word that means slanderer. So as a dragon, Satan is powerful. As a serpent, he is a deceiver. Uh, as a devil, he is a slanderer. We see this in the book of Job. It's on your sheet. That when God mentions Job, Satan begins to slander the man who is serving God. He speaks evil of him. It is interesting that Even in the book of Revelation, we see this this idea of Satan being a, a slanderer, one who accuses the brethren. In Revelation 12, 9 and 10, it says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard of a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Here it is, for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. Um, Before Satan is bound and cast into the bottom, held in the bottomless pit, he has reign. And we see in the book of Job that he even comes before God. What is it that Satan does? He accuses the brethren. He talks bad about God's kids. He did it with Job. Uh, So not only is he a liar to you, and you think, well, what are the lies that Satan tells me? Well, it goes back to the garden. Satan lied and said, did God really say that? God, Satan will, put, will make you want to question whether God's word is true, whether God loves you, uh, whether you can change. The, the lies of Satan is God's word is not true. Uh, God does not love you. He will lie to you and he'll say there is no hell. We're going to get there here in just a minute. Uh, he will say you cannot change. You are who you are and you will, you, need to, you will live in that shame, and God cannot forgive you of that. So not only does he lie to you, but before God, he slanders God's kids and accuses them of wrong. This is interesting because what you understand from other scriptures is who is the one in the presence of God who is making intercession for us? <laughs> Jesus. So in the midst of the slander, as a child of God, in the heavenly courtroom, Satan is accusing, Jesus is saying, I died for that. <laughs> My blood covers that. That's one of yours. They've placed your faith in you. And so Jesus intercedes for us while Satan slanders us. The, the last word is the word Satan, is the word Satan for Satan, yeah. And, and Satan is a word that means uh, one who opposes an enemy, an adversary. Everything that Satan does, he does to oppose God. Whatever God says is good, whatever God stands for, Satan, that's why he's a liar. Because God is truth, therefore everything that comes out of Satan's mouth is a lie. He is the one who opposes God and everything that is godly. That's why in 1 Peter 5, 8, uh, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is who Satan is. In fact, those words denote his activity from From the beginning of the rebellion, really since Genesis 3, he is one who has exerted power as a dragon. He is one who has deceived people in this world. He is one who slanders God's children. If he can't keep them from becoming God's children, he will accuse them before God in his presence, and he will do everything he can to oppose. When we come to Revelation 20, verse 3, and it says that he was bound And put into the bottomless pit, and there was a key, lock the door, you're stuck. No, you're going to stay here. You know what what God was doing? He was taking all of this. Oh, can we go back to verse 2? I'm sorry, Nathan. He is restricting everything that Satan has been doing. His power? No, he's lost it. He's bound. His deception? No, it's over. He has no voice anymore because he's in the bottomless pit. He does, he, he does not have access. Actually, that's happened earlier in the book of Revelation. He has been cast out of heaven, and he's been, he has no voice before God to slander the brethren. And because he is bound in that pit, he no longer has a place to oppose the activity of God in the world. When God binds him and places him in the bottomless pit, he has restricted everything that Satan has done. I want you to see in verse 7 through 9 that then God defeats Satan. I don't have time this morning. The verses I've skipped are about the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth with the saints. Everything couldn't make it into the 52 sermons, understand. Talk to me later or just Google it, it'll be fine, okay? You'll be all right. You'll want to be there, but we don't have time this morning. Verse 7, he's bound for a thousand years. Verse 7, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together, that's an Ezekiel reference, mm, to them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That was the from earlier. No, finally there's just a pitched battle, and God said, let's just get this over with, because you defeated. And I've been holding back all of these centuries, but no now's the time. And I'm gonna this is gonna be a, a visible battle and you're gonna be defeated and God defeats Satan and then it says in verse 10 this is how the story plays out the devil who deceived them that's the third time in this chapter he's used that word deceive was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever now I told you there are some places and they're on your sheet there is there is the bottomless pit that they will dwell in but there is this place and jesus said this in matthew 25 41 get this the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his demons did you hear the words of jesus Why did God prepare that place? For the ultimate punishment of Satan and his minions. That's why it was created. It is different than the bottomless pit. It is the lake of fire. Uh, Hell. Jesus called it Gehenna. It is a place of torment and punishment. And it is an eternal place. It will be forever and ever, is what the scripture says. And that Satan and his demons, after they have been defeated in battle, they are cast into that lake of fire for all of eternity. Do you know why they're cast in that lake of fire? Because it is the ultimate expression of being out of alignment with God. If that's how you've lived your life, then. That is due justice, to be bound to that place. And so not only is Satan defeated, but he is cast into the lake of fire. It is a place. As real as heaven is, we'll get there in two weeks, hell is also a literal, real place. It was a place, as I said, that Jesus prepared, Jesus said that had been prepared for Satan and his demons. Not only is he there, but the beast who is a symbol of the Antichrist and, his, and the false prophet who is his main spokesman, they, are, they have already been sent there and they are there also. It is a place of punishment and it will last forever. If, if, if in the big drama of God's one big story, there is God, there is mankind, and there is Satan and his demons. We've just wrote the final word on Satan. The only question becomes now, what about mankind? <laughs> we know where God is what about mankind it says in verse 11 then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. In the chronology of events this is the great white throne judgment um my conviction is this is a judgment for the unredeemed the redeemed are not described as dead he said the dead were brought when the saints die they are said to sleep in jesus until they're raised oh this is on your sheet but you need to know this dear christian at the top, the chronology, we've been doing dates in human history Well, we just went to whoop, the last days. <laughs> is that the term I used? I better look at that. The end of time is what I put. These truths are also at the bottom of your sheet, but you need to have this squarely in mind, Christians. First, what happens to a believer? who dies before Jesus comes again. And there's scriptures with these. The scripture says that when we die, our bodies are placed in the ground and our spirits go to be who got, with God who gave it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise which is a term for heaven when the believer dies before the coming of Jesus second coming of Jesus uh, their spirits go to be with God they are immediately with God now we're gonna have to talk about in just a minute what happens with unbelievers when they die but the believer goes to be with God when Jesus comes again their bodies will be resurrected and will be joined with their spirits and they will always be with God. And ultimately, oh, I don't want to muddy the waters, there is the presence of God now, there is an ultimate place of heaven that Jesus is preparing. I want to say heaven one and heaven two, I don't know, don't quote me on that. There is. There is the presence of God, there is even a greater place, a full place, uh, for eternity. Uh, When Jesus comes again, those who have died before, their souls will be joined with their bodies, and they will be in their resurrected bodies, and they will pass into eternity. At some point in there, there will be a judgment, because even those that are alive will be caught up with the Lord in the air, and they will all be with the Lord. And they will pass through a judgment, and their destinies will be determined. Okay? A thousand years will pass. Satan will be defeated. And at the end of that time, the dead, the unredeemed, will also be resurrected. You can see the words of Jesus in John chapter 5 this is quite honestly significant uh, they will not be in a spiritual state they will be in a bodily state uh, when the unredeemed dies before jesus coming or before that day their body also goes to the grave and their spirits go to a place in the old testament that was called Sheol. Uh, The New Testament is called Hades. It is a place, a holding place, that is separate from God's presence. It is also a place of punishment, but not the ultimate place, because eventually we'll see in, in Revelation that Hades and death are cast into the lake of fire. But at the end of the thousand years, the dead of the unredeemed will be resurrected, into a bodily state, and they will be brought before the, the great white throne judgment of God. And books will be opened. There's a distinction here in this verse between the books, plural, and the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And the books will record the deeds It will record our deeds too and I believe our lives will also be judged and our reward will be based upon that. But for the unredeemed, their lives, everything will be recorded. It it will be entered into evidence to use a, a modern courtroom term. Here is the evidence, the books about every person's life, every thought every deed, action, whatever they did, did not do. And let me tell you why that's so significant. It's because God will be a perfect judge and he will know everything about the unredeemed. And let me tell you, what the evidence will show is that the unredeemed entered into the rebellion against God there won't be a question of well you know I think they did better than this person no in fact quite honestly the book will also record that of me but there'll be a distinction here in just a minute everyone's life the evidence that is in the books will make it very clear they chose to do their own thing some worse than others in fact punishment will be based upon that just as our reward will be based upon our works their punishment will be based upon their works the evidence will make it very clear that each one of them and quite honestly the evidence is very clear for each one of us we entered into the rebellion we were deceived we chose we thought to do our own thing But you know what? It's not our own thing. It's the deceiver's thing. And the evidence will be laid out and it will be very clear person by person that they entered into the rebellion. Uh, Let me read on down. It says in verse 13, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And here it is in verse 15, our last verse. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The book of life simply records the names of those of the redeemed. Let me be very clear how you get into the book. Well, the Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us came to a point in life where we knew the difference between right and wrong, and we chose wrong. We entered into rebellion against God's sin. We chose to do our own thing, and we were alienated with God. Whether you verbally acknowledge this or not, you joined Satan's team. I joined Satan's team. There was no question with my mama that I was a sinner. Yeah. That was not the question of the day. Um, but when the gospel is preached, it's taught, is shared, and a person who lives in rebellion sees the truth of Jesus Christ that God has provided only one way of salvation to escape the judgment for our rebellion and it is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and when people come to the place in life and they say I will make a choice to turn my back on the evil and turn to the good And that I ask Jesus, it's the Lamb's book of life, that his blood would be applied to my life and I would ask him to forgive me of my sins and I commit my life to him and I trust my life that he will get me to the place where God will be when I die. And even someday he will redeem my my body that is decayed and died. I will be in the presence of God. I made that decision when I was 10. I made a life choice as someone in rebellion against God to say, I will choose Jesus. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there'll be a lot of bad things written about me in the books. And I will be judged according to those things, but my destiny will be determined whether my name was in the lambs book of life singular book it is a life choice that I made and that I will I will be allowed to escape the lake of fire and be ushered into the presence of God not because of anything I did other than turn my life to trust in Jesus God's only way of salvation redemption. And many of your names I'm sure are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But for those who did not choose that regardless of how good our society or they themselves see themselves or as bad as they see themselves. We have all sinned We're alienated from God. There is only one path of salvation to escape the lake of fire, and that is through Jesus Christ. Anyone's name who is not found written in the Lamb's book of life will also, who chose a team in their rebellion, whether they realized it or not, because most people live in deception and the lie, will be cast into the lake of fire. And here it is. And we'll see the culmination of this in two Sundays. In the end, God's perfect justice will be served. The books will be opened. The evidence will be entered. It will be clear. Do you know who the judge is that day? John chapter 5 tells us. Not even before God the Father that we stand that day. Jesus is the judge that day. (laughs) Because the question will be what did you do with him and his offer of salvation? In the end, God's perfect justice will be served everything will be put in alignment with god's character truth and justice to say that in the end god's perfect justice will be served communicates that for now god allows it you may have sat there this morning and you thought man god if i'd been god in genesis chapter 3 i would have given them the (laughs) I would have been done. I would have served justice that day. But the reality is that God allowed Satan to continue his reign. But let me tell you, in his grace and his mercy, the day that you sinned, also God allowed you, even though you spiritually died, that you could stay alive for the express purpose. For you to come to the place in your life when you heard the truth of Jesus Christ and you say, I cannot save myself, but I trust my life to Jesus Christ. So God not only allowed Satan, but he also allowed us the opportunity to have and to make a choice. And in some respects, we could say in our own stories, That there is a battle today between good and evil. Just like in Scrooge's life. There is this battle between good and evil. And I understand all of that and I don't don't dismiss that. And even whether you're a believer or you're not yet a believer. There is this battle within us between good and evil. And we have to choose. But today, what do I want to impress upon you is that there must be a life choice where you come to the time i understand daily choosing between good and evil but let me tell you if everyone in this room is old enough we've dismissed the children anybody that's small no you've reached the age of accountability you've known right and wrong you have sinned it's not the question today someday it's going to be opened up in the books it'll be very clear the question is have you made a life choice that I will place my faith in Jesus Christ and I will allow that sinless, ultimate sacrifice for my sins, the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cover my life. Uh, If you will make that choice today, your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and someday when you pass into eternity, (laughs) they'll just turn to your page and say, yes, he or she is in because of what they did with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning, Um, and as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. If you have never made that life choice, I want to give you that opportunity today. To make that choice, you must admit to God that you are a sinner. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and ask God to have Christ come into your life and for his blood to forgive you of your sins And you must be willing to commit your life to Christ. The Bible says you must confess it with your mouth. When I was 10 years of age, I prayed a prayer like this. And it said, dear God, I I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died for me. And I asked Jesus to come in my life and forgive me my sins. And I commit my life to Him. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to make that life choice. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you've never made that choice, and you know that you know that you need to, let me tell you today, I am preaching to you the truth of God's Word that someday all of us will give an account. And I dare would not preach on hell today without telling you the way to get out. And if you know you never have and you would choose today, would you just pray that simple prayer that I prayed when I was 10 years of age You have to mean it in your heart. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it in your mind. You can pray it out loud. You can whisper it, whatever you have to do. But the Bible says you must confess. Would you pray that prayer today? Just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died for me. I ask Jesus to come into my heart take away my sin I ask the blood of Jesus to cover all that I've done thank you Jesus for saving me and I commit my life to you today in Jesus name Amen. this morning we rejoice with you if you're here and you said no today's my day uh, I want you to tell somebody that's up to you but I want you to tell somebody uh, Byron and I are here at the front you don't have to tell us I'll, I'll be around you can tell me later you can call me this week come by to see me you can tell a family member that you know that is a believer, a friend I just ask you tell somebody Uh, And the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice today uh, over one sinner who repents and comes to Christ this morning the altar is open Byron and I are at the front uh, as you have decisions to make Today you need to make your decision public to follow Christ. We're here to receive you as we sing this morning.